5G will enable a lot of new use cases beyond traditional mobile broadband, also into enterprise, IT, media, and a number of different types of applications. This will mean we will require an infrastructure that can support that flexibility and multitude of a massive number of different applications that will be required that you can spin up very quickly. You want to be able to launch them very fast with time to market. Also, since these 5D applications now are built around cloud-native design principles, microservice, architecture, DevOps, CICD, Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Now, today I have the privilege of being joined by Ulf Jonsson. Now, Ulf is the head of NFVI Portfolio Strategy Management at Ericsson. Ulf, thanks for making time to join us. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Des. Happy to be here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. Now, just to introduce you, so um, listeners, I wanted to uh, share with you that um, Ulf uh, Jonsson is responsible for the NFE Infrastructure Solution and Product Portfolio Strategy at Ericsson. He's actually had several leadership positions in Ericsson uh, uh, with business and strategy and product management responsibility in areas such as NFE infrastructure as he's now, telco, cloud, software-defined network, IP and broadband, and a whole range of things. An amazing background and pedigree and very well positioned for this exciting role. Um, he's currently driving the next-generation cloud-native infrastructure, optimized for 5G telecommunications applications, and particularly edge computing, which we'll get into today. Uh, interestingly, Ulf also holds a master's degree in electrical engineering from the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden, one of my favorite places in the world. Ulf, I wonder if we could uh, maybe uh, start with a couple of things. Before we dive into what a day in the life of uh, Ulf Jonsson is like and, and a bit about your role, um, just so that listeners can get a sense of who you are and, and a little bit of personal background, I wonder if we could just pivot sideways and get you to give us a little bit of background on where you're from, where you grew up, a bit of your academic and career path to sort of come to this exciting role. Okay. Yeah, so so as you said, my name is Ulf Jonsson. I'm uh, born and raised in Sweden, where I still live. Uh, then uh, been living here the whole, whole my life. I would uh, say that I'm very much a family guy, so so I really put my family first. Uh, so where I spend most of my time is really with my two boys, uh, kind of helping them out when they do their soccer, their handball, and and also kind of all the school thing. From uh, the hobbies I have, I would say I would mainly say two things. Uh, I'm really into sailing, so I've been. Uh, both competing in, in the sail racing and and these days more for holidays. I'm always out in the summer with my sailboat uh, in the Swedish archipelago. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a fantastic place if you haven't been there. It's really one of the wonders of Sweden, I would say, to be in the archipelago. I've just added uh, to my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, you should do that. You should do that. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I'm, I'm also very into is uh, music. I've been uh, playing the flute, actually, in a small band for, for many, many years, which I also enjoy a lot. Wow, fantastic. I, uh, I, I had a girlfriend who was a flutist and uh, a classical musician when I was a teenager, and she tried to teach me. And uh, after about a week, uh, the only uh, relationship I had with the flute was getting uh, hit by the, over the head with it. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was useless. What, what sort of boats do you experience. No. What sort of boats do you sail? Uh, are they single hull or catamaran? Or? So it's a, it's a sailboat. So it's uh, like a 10-meter uh, ah. sailboat. So, nice. so basically we're there for maybe two weeks. Uh, with a family every summer. Fantastic. I get into the uh, Twilight series here. We, um, we are on a uh, 
42 foot uh, oceanic uh, Beneteau and it's just yeah it's an amazing place oh, yeah. to be great fun and uh, uh, if I had my way my family thinks that I would just sail off to the horizon and never come back <laughs> <laughs> Well, it sounds like you've had an amazing uh, background and, and, you know, just looking at your uh, career path and, and what you've been covering so far around the whole space of, of telecommunications, particularly with 5G and edge computing, it seems to me that you are perfectly suited for this exciting role. I wonder if maybe you could just give us a sense of, you know, as far as your role of, you know, heading up the NFEI portfolio strategy management at Ericsson, maybe just give us a bit of a summary of what a day in the life of, of Ulf Janssen is like and, and some of the key challenges you're facing in this role. Yes. So as you said, I, I'm, I've been working actually with the, what we call network function virtualization infrastructure now for, yeah, since, since basically it was invented uh, in the in some ten years ago. So I have a long, long background in this. Uh, I think that it's been an amazing journey where we've basically taken it from going from you know telco gear that was very much built around, yes monolith nodes to now break it up, uh, horizontalize this and enable the whole virtualization of tele applica telecom applications to run them on uh, standard servers. So, so that's something I've been working on for many years here. And now the interesting thing is really 5G and what's happening with that, with the cloud native journey that we're into with 5G, which actually now I think will be even more exciting times for the infrastructure and build an optimized infrastructure for that. One of the big questions that we get often from our audience, whether it's followers, subscribers or listeners, is just understanding the criticality and the importance of where NFE and NFEI fit into this. And when we think about legacy telecom infrastructure, we've got poles and antennas and cells and radio infrastructure and you know voice circuits and dedicated infrastructure. But now we're really talking about software-defined everything, aren't we? We're talking about software-defined infrastructure, so we're talking about cloud environments and particularly Ericsson's done an enormous amount of amazing work around the OpenStack platform. We're talking about orchestration automation where you know API driven instances being stood up and, and deliver services and then just die natively. I like that line that uh, in the cloud world uh, you know, once upon a time we used to build servers and hug them like pets and now we just treat instances in the cloud like cattle. We breed them, they die and we don't mind and move on. But when we think about NFE and NFEI, uh, where it plays into the telecommunication space, particularly with 5G, I wonder if you could maybe just give us a, a brief insight into kind of why it is so critical and why it's so important that organizations, whether they're CSPs or enterprise, need to understand it, need to get their heads around it and, and, and generate some focus on it. Yes. So if you take the 5G, 5G will enable a lot of new use cases beyond uh, the traditional mobile broadband, also into enterprise, IT, media, and a number of different type of applications. And this will mean that we will require to have an infrastructure that can support that flexibility and multitude of massive number of different applications that will be required that you can spin up very quickly. You want to be able to launch them very fast with time to market. But also, since these 5D applications now are built around cloud native design principles, basically around microservice architecture, DevOps, CI/CD, uh, and also the need to be able to be able to distribute some of these functions out also further out in the telecom networks to support the new type of applications. This really means that now it's really critical that the whole telecom networks are now uh, kind of transformed to be completely cloud native and run adopting the cloud native 
principles also on the infrastructure. So basically what we will see is not only the need to just virtualize your application to run them on central data center, you will need to have a complete distributed cloud infrastructure that will, will enable you to run and deploy your applications anywhere in the telecom network. For a lot of the telcos, they've got some very big sunk costs and in physical infrastructure in everything from out in the field to wires in the ground to um, the central data centers and, and, and edge environments. For, for a lot of these people, it's, it's a fairly big pivot to go from that physical infrastructure to the virtualized infrastructure, now cloud models, as you said, in cloud design principles. What are some of the big topics and the important topics that you're discussing when you meet with some of the customers and, and, and just you know addressing some of the key concerns about this change and pivot? Yeah, and I think this is a very good question because, to be honest, one of the big problems I would say with the virtualization as we've seen so far is that it hasn't really fulfilled the promise of reducing the TCO in the way we had hoped for. Uh, so, so this is for sure one of the key challenges because basically what you expect from a cloud infrastructure, and especially a telecom cloud infrastructure, is that it should it should just, you know, run, it should be easy to use, and it also should be definitely provide a lower cost, cost both from a cape aspect also to operate this infrastructure. And I would say that the NFI up until now maybe haven't completely fulfilled that promise. And this is actually where this, uh, what we call cloud native, and, and now the move to cloud native applications that will be more agnostic to the infrastructure, but also the ability to to really now build a highly optimized infrastructure for those cloud native inf- uh, native applications. Uh, and with that, I mean, we, we strongly believe we need to radically simplify the cloud infrastructure for telco. This is the only way to both significantly reduce the CAPEX as well as the OPEX and also make it easier to operate these cloud infrastructures. So, so, so I think a lot comes down to basically try and make sure that we can reduce the cost, make sure that we also can make it simpler and faster to deploy applications on this, make it easier also to operate, not only on the central data center, but also operate now uh, when, when you start to di- distribute on, on the more edge, edge of the network, as well as also on enterprise on-premise networks. A lot of the enterprise world we see uh, often approach virtualization and even cloud from a very old school uh, type of mindset in that it's just a a simpler way or a cheaper way to do what they used to do with hardware. You know, take a a single dedicated server instead of running one big database application, maybe run three applications like a mail server and a file server and a print server and maybe a database. One of the things that I think a lot of companies uh, that in the enterprise space have struggled with is that shift to the cloud-native model, understanding that they don't have to run these infrastructures all the time, that they just have a pool of infrastructure that can be used on demand. I imagine that the telcos aren't so different in the, the carrier and telco service provider space where the use of that physical infrastructure and, you know, I need to put in another 48 router switch to handle this many circuits or another 10 servers... Are you, when you're talking to some of the customers at the moment, I'm sure there are some some leaders in the market that are there, but what's the preparedness and readiness for the, the whole industry in the, the telco space, and particularly uh, uh, CSPs, with regard to just changing their style of thinking and their design approach from a dedicated application running on a dedicated server to more of that API-style mindset of microservices where 
some business logic sits in a container and gets instantiated under a Kubernetes cluster and run in a cloud somewhere and, and could almost, you know, sort of spike and, and flex on demand. And it only runs when it's, you know, a call's required. And when the call's finished or the circuit's finished or the stream's finished, it dies. Are, are the service providers there yet? Are they, are they, as an industry as a whole, ready to have this conversation pivot? Or is there still a lot of work to be done to sort of make them aware of the value proposition and the technology changes required to, to leverage that? Yes. So, so to be honest, I think we see the whole uh, spectra, essentially. So we, we see some very advanced customers uh, all around the world that actually have completely embraced uh, kind of the horizontalization, running a true cloud infrastructure, now also starting to also adopt some of the public cloud also to run the telecom applications. And, the, uh, and so, so I think there are a couple of those who already have embraced that journey and now are more looking into them. How do we make sure that that we now also can fulfill the promise of the TCO, as I said, and especially now as we move to edge, uh, we, we will see that this will be an even bigger challenge here since that now suddenly you will have maybe hundreds, even thousands of these sites. And how do you manage those in an effective way and, and really uh, be able to uh, have it find the economics for those infrastructure but you also see a lot of operators also on the other end of the spectrum that still very much uh, are kind of working in the old paradigm where you basically have one applica- single purpose application many of them still have virtualized but i would say it's more like virtualized appliances so they basically still in the in the traditional model of having purpose-built uh, nodes for the different applications. And I think they are basically looking towards these advanced. And, and I think they've been probably a little bit scared actually moving into that direction since they have, we haven't been able to prove as an industry that we actually can fulfill uh, the promise of, of a better TCO. Uh, so, so this is, I think, an industry challenge. And I think the good thing with this is now now I think we actually have and know what needs to be done in order to be able to to make everyone believe that they can now take that move and make that move. Indeed, and, and I know you've got some great examples I've seen coming through the website and certainly some of the interviews I've done with some of your peers across Ericsson and Ericsson Digital. The, the reduced time to market in particular was a really hot topic for a lot of organizations in the CSB space. And, and also the reduced time to return on investment, uh, not just the return on investment, but the reduced time to get there. One of the things that strikes me, though, and I'm, I'm keen to get your insights on this just briefly, some of the feedback that I get in boardrooms from telcos around the world is that they're really struggling to skill up and reskill, retrain, develop, and just get the resources that understand how to d- develop and design applications, as you said, cloud native applications, how to develop code that runs in a container, whether it's Docker or something else, and, and to work with that sort of, uh, I guess, microservices architecture model that uh, when we think about design principles of code running in a container under a cluster, under Kubernetes, whether it's centrally or, or at the edge of the network and migrating backwards and forwards, they're really struggling to, to reskill and retrain and re-engineer whilst trying to keep the business going. Is that something you're coming across when you talk to customers on a regular basis that they, one of the biggest challenges is just reskilling and re-gearing their human resource component? Uh, yes, definitely. I think I think this is is uh, also an industry problem. We need to more quickly make sure that uh, basically, as you say, the organizations need to um, move and and be able to kind of educate themselves into these uh, new technologies. Although I, 
I also would like to make sure we did mystify this a little bit. To be honest, what we see is that if you looked at the virtualized world, that was so basically having uh, VNFs running in VMs, that was actually far more complex than we see now with the cloud native and running Kubernetes. It's, it's much more built for user friendly. We talk about CI, CD. I mean, what you will see is that basically we will be deliver, if you take Ericsson application, for instance, we'll be able to deliver this using uh, continuous delivery into the operator network. And, and basically we will see much more of a zero touch provision and deployment and also lifecycle management of these applications. Another benefit of moving to kind of container technologies is that all of this is now being developed and, and you can say built around the cloud native computing foundation uh, principles, uh, which means that we can see that actually we will kind of be able to leverage a, a common uh, set of skill sets for those building the applications as well as the ones building the infrastructure. Before you kind of needed one set of competence for your kind of infrastructure virtualization layer with OpenStack uh, that you had to build up another competence for your application developers. Now actually since all of them are now uh, building this around the CNCF and Kubernetes and, and microservices, we will see that actually you will be able to have a common set of skills for the applications and the infrastructure. So it, in that sense, I think what we'll see in the in the kind of uh, this future of uh, cloud native uh, telco networks is that actually it most likely will be easier to build uh, the right competence pool for that for the future. That actually reflects a lot of what I saw in the enterprise world when I think about banking and wealth management. A lot of financial services companies went from physical to virtual, but what they ended up with was just this horrible mess of virtual machine sprawl. And, and they just, as you said, all that complexity of lots and lots of little virtual machines with their unique little nuances. Whereas, uh, as you're saying there, that when you design something from a cloud native principle, you're really focusing on that one design, one piece of business logic, and the clustering platform of Kubernetes and the infrastructure around that OpenStack can deal with the scaling up and down and run between one and 10 of the thousand on demand as the connection requests come in. But you're still really developing that one piece of business logic and the platform and the infrastructure does all of the magic for you. One of the things that I'm seeing uh, organizations also uh, put their hand up and ask questions about is sort of the whole shift to edge computing and edge networking. And when we think about the transition from sort of centralized data centers to running things at the edge, it's still a very blurry area for a lot of organizations. And I'm, I'm sure that the, the carrier and service provider telco market's not that different in that. Uh, you know, we've seen, for example, Intel just released a new version there, second generation Xeon scalable processor, which is brilliant because in the data center, it's got all this machine learning, whatever built in. But they also released uh, Atom P5900, which is a system on chip designed for edge. And so now all of a sudden you can get the same Intel architecture code running at the centralized data center, but in a cut down version at the edge. And I think this must simplify things. Um, when we think about Edge computing, I wonder maybe if we can just get you to give us a sense of what does edge computing mean in your world and your language within Ericsson to start with, and we'll dive into why it's so important. Yes. So, I mean, edge computing from yeah, what we can see right now, I, I, I mean, we talk a about a lot of different use cases, but essentially where we see the most of the drive right now is around kind of enterprise use cases. Uh, and basically, Edge computing then becomes a foundational enabler for use cases with the high requirements on, for instance, scalability, security, 
availability low latency and bandwidth. Uh, so this all means that in order to be able to meet those requirements and enable those new enterprise use cases, we need to provide more uh, edge computing infrastructure and cloud infrastructure closer to the edge. Uh, in most cases, actually, uh, we see that this typically starts even putting your uh, equipment on the enterprise network. So basically as an extension of the telecom uh, network into the enterprise site. Uh, then once this is established, uh, we will see that uh, there are many also kind of consumer applications will also benefit from these edge computing capabilities. We talk a lot about uh, gaming. Uh, so basically have a VR and AR assisted gaming. I think this will, will definitely happen as this infrastructure is being built out. Uh, and, uh, and then just uh, being able to kind of do local breakouts also further out. So, so all of this is driving edge computing. Then for me then, uh, I'm, I'm mainly focused then on ensuring that we have a very efficient and economic cloud infrastructure supporting those kind of edge deployments. So if you take from an infrastructure point of view, I think the main challenge that, that I'm sitting on is that how can I build an infrastructure that is, provides ultra low footprint? I mean, you need to be able to run these applications in you know single server deployments. It shouldn't require a lot of software overhead typically cloud infrastructure today is built for more large-scale data centers and then the software overhead for your kind of control software and the infrastructure software doesn't matter too much but here I mean, you really want to in a single server deployment or a few servers you really need to minimize you the, the, the software footprints so that you have as much of that compute capacity available for your applications as, 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 as possible. And, and, and this is one of the enablers for this is really coming to kind of containers and, and the, which also when you run them on bare metal servers, which is really a focus area for us here, that enables you to uh, to actually remove that virtualization layer, uh, layer. and then you can actually run your the infrastructure software can be as low as less than 5% of your of your compute. So basically 95% of the server then can be used for, for your applications. Another key part of, of moving to the edge from an infrastructure point of view is uh, kind of how do you make this very highly industrialized deployments. If you now should deploy this in hundreds of thousands of sites, we need to have highly industrialized uh, services and also deployments. So you basically can very easily uh, just deploy them and, and they should be just uh, hooked up to the network and, and, and run. So basically it should be extremely fast and easy to, to get them deployed and, and have them up and running. And then how to operate these in a very efficient way. How, how do you make sure that you can have a central single pane of glass managing all of these thousands of sites in an easy way and also be able to manage to easily deploy and, and life cycle both your infrastructure as well as your applications on, on those edge uh, sites. What's the response been from your customer base so far? I mean, what level of interest are you seeing from CSPs uh, with regard to willingness and interest to discuss what NFVI is and, and where it fits into that whole edge context? 
so 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 i would say the interest from customers is is huge right now uh so uh, and i think it comes a lot uh, from that every operator right now in the world is planning for the introduction of 5G. And with 5G, it is much more than only providing better bandwidth for the end consumers. This is also about enabling completely new ecosystem, new services, uh, also for the enterprise space. And also, I would say, in particular to the also the industrial uh, space, so the industry 4.0, uh, for instance. So we'll, and this is all driving the need to provide these edge computing capabilities. Uh, so, so, so definitely we are we are working now with, I would say, operators around the globe to look at how can we enable this edge uh, infrastructure uh, to them. Uh, but again, I think coming back to this, this needs to be. Provide a very very low cost infrastructure and easy to operate and easy to manage. Otherwise, this will not fly. It's really important to get the economics right from start here. Indeed. Well, I think the big shift we're going to see is, and you mentioned a couple of the examples where you know industry 4.0 and particularly the manufacturing and robotics space. I think there's a lot of focus in in the early deployment of 5G and the tr- traditional telco solutions, and certainly obviously you know migrating to 5G handsets as far as phones go. But organizations I'm talking to are also saying, well, what about the other end? What about our warehouse? What about our, you know, implementing robotics in our factories? What about the Internet of Things or the industrial Internet of Things? And I think companies are now looking at this from the point of view, well, what can NFEI do for us when we replace you know, Wi-Fi, for example, where we might only have a couple of hundred devices connected to a wireless network? What about when we connect millions of things from sensors and robotics and devices and monitors and so forth? at software level and hardware level. I imagine this is a a key driver for people now where they're looking for all new and exciting opportunities to build capabilities where it's not just traditional telco carriage and service, but, you know, autonomous vehicles, intelligent robots, uh, industrial sensors of various, you know, high quantities, whether it's a factory, uh, whether it's a, a... Sporting site, you know, we see now, for example, uh, you know, recently I was I had the privilege of of going and visiting AT and T's uh, stadium in Dallas, and everything is connected. It was just astounding, um, which which is you know millions of devices potentially with the sensors of IoT and the security cameras and the consumers of the handsets. I imagine this is driving a big part of the interest in network function virtualization and particularly the infrastructure around it that you're working on in that we're going to see an explosion, almost like a Cambrian explosion, the number of little devices that are going into these areas in high density, where, as you said, they want, you know, high throughput, low latency, low cost, uh, rapid deployment and ease of management. Um, Is this an area that you're seeing people now wanting to go into whole new areas and build new business capabilities and spaces that previously we might never have thought of putting that density of connectivity into? Yes, I mean this is exactly what what I mean, the the use cases and, and the business opportunities that the operators are trying to to grab, and and connected to that, then as you say, I mean this is all enabled by, in essence, the the new 5G and the 5G architecture, the 5G uh, radio technology. Uh, so so I think what we also then do from an infrastructure point of view is that, uh, I mean if you take the first generation of network function virtualization infrastructure that was very much about virtualizing the core telco applications like packet core ims and so forth and, run, and get them to run on the infrastructure what we will see on the edge is that we will be able now need to be able to have in a very very you can say small format 
be able to also put your kind of radio technology around that uh, cloud native on this infrastructure. You need also have a kind of compact uh, packet core uh, applications for your, which is needed for kind of your local breakout. That should also run on the same. So basically you have parts of the radio access network, part of your, your packet core, and also on the same, you want them to be able to run the kind of specific uh, applications needed for that particular industry. And here we'll see a different type of, of ways of doing that. Uh, either if the operator kind of have a, have a very strong uh, enterprise, uh, enterprise arm towards a certain uh, vertical, uh, then we'll see that, uh, and we actually recommend then the operators look at how can they run also those specific uh, industry vertical applications co-located with these uh, telecom applications on, on the same same small edge uh, infrastructure uh, kind of uh, uh, environment. Uh, the other option also, which we'll see a lot, and that is that uh, in many cases, maybe the operator doesn't have the go-to-market channel in the same way to, towards these enterprises. And there, it will be very important then to kind of team up or or partner with could be the hyper uh, scale cloud providers uh, who as we know have a very strong uh, application and uh, developer ecosystem it could also be the uh, operations technology vendors uh, so basically those uh, vendors that do different industrial automation and and team up with those and here uh, often it might be that then the telecom uh, business will be to provide kind of this uh, small edge uh, infrastructure uh, with small footprint to run your radio and, and, and your telecom packet core uh, for local breakout. But then maybe not so much the, uh, the actual application for that industry. That would be more related to, for instance, uh, uh, an environment provided by this uh, uh, hyperscale provider or, or the the provider and I think we will see both of uh, both of these different models uh, uh, as we go go about edge edge computing here we've certainly seen some use cases that have proven that uh, uh, to be true in many ways I mean we've seen content delivery networks work in public clouds and move as close to the edge as they can uh, we've seen the likes of, of you know the Netflixes of the world and 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 Spotify's and whomever else get as close as they can to the consumer at the edge of network to stream as fast as possible and remove duplicate copies and, and that long haul. Uh, one of the things that always excites me about what, with Ericsson's approach with this is that you are often, if not always, your own first customer. So you cloudified your own environment. You went into cloud native with your own platforms. Your OSS and BSS environments were turned into cloud natives and ran under your own Dockerized Kubernetes clusters. And I just love the fact that you you design and build and implement this and run it yourselves before you even start talking to the industry that it, that it's available. I, I was really excited to see that you'd launched uh, too much fanfare and congratulations. You're a cloud native infrastructure solution, uh, and, and I believe it was based on your bare metal architecture. I wonder if you could maybe give us a, a little insight into what that is and we can dive in a bit of detail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah, know. So I'm very excited. So I'm actually owning this uh, cloud native infrastructure solution myself. It's, uh, it's, uh, I think it is the world's first actually true cloud native uh, uh, infrastructure running Kubernetes and containers as a service platform on bare metal servers, uh, optimized then for 
telecom applications, so so network demanding telecom applications. So so with this, it's possible to basically what we've done is we've removed the need to have a virtualization or hypervisor layer. So we don't need to have OpenStack or or other type of of virtualization layer. We run the Kubernetes platform directly on top of, of bare metal servers. Still full aut- automated with a full automated lifecycle management operations uh, uh, of this uh, Kubernetes uh, uh, software on top of these bare metal servers. And this is something we're very proud of because we've, we've been working in the CNCF community, so the Cloud Native Computing Foundation community, and really driving uh, the uh, technology to be able to enable them to run these uh, Kubernetes uh, distributions and platforms on top of, of, of bare metal and, and, and be able still to maintain them the telco grade characteristics and also the lifecycle management that you expect from, from a telco network. Uh, and there are obviously a number of key benefits of this. Uh, so as I talked about, this enables to have significant TCO savings, both from a CAPEX as well as an OPEX point of view. So if you take from a CAPEX point of view, uh, I mean, this will provide a superior hardware efficiency. So we will have extremely efficient hardware utilization since we will be able now to have less infrastructure uh, overhead. Uh, When you used to run uh, OpenStack, basically, you were forced to have three dedicated servers just to kind of run your control software. And, and even on, on, a, on a server with, uh, that runs your, your applications, you could maximum have around 60% of that server available for your applications. Running with uh, Kubernetes, uh, it's, it's really, really a small footprint. So you have a kind of 5% only of, of the servers will run your kind of Kubernetes software. And that's and, and you don't have a need for dedicated servers for running your masters. So your master uh, Kubernetes nodes can actually co-locate your applications, which means you can have all servers that you have, you will have around 95% of the hardware available for the applications. That, of course, gives fantastic hardware utilization opportunities. Uh, then also, I mean, just remo- removing the virtualization software layer completely eliminates, of course, this licensing fee, which is also a benefit, which means we can actually deliver uh, lower cost solutions. And there are other benefits also with cloud native, just from the application point of view, just by having the cloud native, the 5D applications now built using cloud native design principles running in microservices, for instance. Makes it possible to now really, really pack your servers and and, and get even more uh, efficiency out of your server. <clears throat> and this will, of course, be extremely important also as we move into edge use cases, uh, where where we will see that there is a need to run this on a, on a very small footprint since the, these environments are very resource constrained. Uh, <clears throat> Right. So yeah. So 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 there are a couple of couple of benefits of this. There are also OPEX benefits with it. If you if you want me to talk about that. Yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah. So 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 a, a very one. Pr- 
problem, or I would say in the, in the industry where the infrastructure has been to provide the same level of uh, in-service upgrade capability you're used to, to have in, in the telco space from the kind of native world. This has been a challenge in uh, the VM-based uh, world. Uh, the good thing is that with the Kubernetes and Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh, Cloud Native principles, it's all built from start with a CI-CD uh, mindset, uh, which means that things like uh, seamless upgrades and be able to provide the CD uh, directly, so continuous delivery of software, uh, in the, in you know weekly or even or monthly basis is now now possible, uh, which means that uh, it it will now be possible to have a much more efficient uh, lifecycle management and seamless introduction of of these uh, of Kubernetes. So it's really built for that. Uh, the other thing we do with the cloud native infrastructure is we really, really focusing on simplicities. We talk about, we have a radically simplified architecture. So while many do, you know, run their Kubernetes on top of a traditional infrastructure as a service or hypervisors, this basically adds complexity to your stack. By removing that and running on bare metal servers, we can have a very, very simple architecture. And, and just that makes it possible to there are more de uh, fewer dependencies between different parts of the of your infrastructure stack, which means it's easier to both uh, lifecycle, troubleshoot. It's easier to support. It's easier to operate. As we talked about, also you need uh, fewer layers of different competence where you basically can focus your competence around uh, Kubernetes and, and uh, container type of technologies. Uh, and uh, so, so all of this actually gives a lot of benefits when it comes to also the operations. So you will be fast uh, TTM and uh, fast to deploy this, uh, very simple to deploy, and also uh, easy to operate and, and maintain. So with that, we can we have actually done calculations uh, that shows that we can easily get some 30% OPEX savings or even more in the operator networks. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. The closer you can get to the hardware uh, and the bare metal, the the, the better your performance is. The the the, the no, less uh, the number of moving parts are, and there's a whole bunch of benefits. And I think you've covered it brilliantly. It reminds me of um, uh, years ago. This will age me. Back in the late '80s, I think it was developed in about 1965 by a guy called Richard Pick. But there was a uh, a database system called the PIC system, and uh, he decided that the operating system was a, a, a hindrance, so he just built his own micro-operating system, and uh, very similar to what we're doing now with Kubernetes, and just made it run bare metal. And uh, we saw an 80% performance increase and it was when we realized that the operating system was a big nuisance for us, but also the complexities of you know deploying OpenStack, as you said, more hardware, more complexities. And there's a, a use case for it in the data center environment in some cases, but at the edge, where every tiny little cycle and every thread on every tiny CPU uh, counts. Uh, You've got to get every little ounce of blood out of it. Um, I imagine that you know when you're thinking about this whole challenge of, of your network function virtualization infrastructure, this is such a critical component to get as close to the bare metal as possible. I wonder if you could maybe give us a sense of when you're thinking about this from a service provider's point of view, when you think about a carrier service provider and their understanding of where we're going, um, what are some of the big benefits that some of the CSPs uh, can expect to see from deploying this at the edge? 
And particularly a cloud-native infrastructure solution you talked about with the bare metal architecture. Yeah, so so I think the, the benefits are quite simple but powerful. So with this, it would be possible to now deploy ultra-low footprint uh, infrastructure solution where you can, will be able to go down and scale down to as low as uh, single-server deployments. Still with all the benefits of a telco-grade system. So you will be able to remotely operate this. You will be able to uh, run your uh, these in the, and benefit from the cloud native and the Kubernetes automation, uh, but where you have very, very little uh, infrastructure software overhead, only 5%, as I talked about, which means that you still have a lot of, of your a server available to actually run the, the applications that you want to run from that location. Uh, so, so I think with this, I mean, I'm 100% sure that this will be the way that everyone will will go about uh, deploying, and 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 uh, that that this will become the way everyone will deploy their infrastructure in the edge. Uh, there will be no need for these more traditional virtualized uh, environments on this infrastructure because that's just driving too much cost complexity and also uh, footprint on those locations. I imagine it also addresses some of the challenges around the type of skill sets people they need. It simplifies the, the you could potentially have smaller developer teams working on this now because you don't have to have all of the depth and breadth of knowledge around operating system level stuff or, or virtualization and, and, and so forth. You can focus purely on the business logic of getting this to run inside the, the bare metal uh, architecture you've got now for uh, the cloud native infrastructure solution. Uh, and I imagine it also simplifies just uh, the, the deployment model, which you mentioned before, but from a packaging point of view that they can get these cloud native applications that can move from centralized, you know, potentially uh, open stack environments at, at, a, at a data center to now at the edge. It's essentially the same piece of logic that would run in OpenStack now just runs inside Kubernetes. It's so native and it's, I mean, I, from my point of view, I'm seeing this as there's no difference in, in the development and design and, and codification. It's just where you deploy it to, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. And, and uh, what I think I should say as well as, I mean, most operators now have built up uh, kind of a, they've done investment in their models, so basically their management orchestration of uh, uh, their telecom applications and the telecom networks. And, and one thing that's been really key in, in our design is that it should be possible to leverage on that investment also as you go to the edge. So you will be able to uh, leverage your kind of Etsy mono, your orchestration capabilities they already built for your virtualized infrastructure. Now we're extending that also to, to the Kubernetes applications. And we're extending also so that we ensure that we drive the standardization, but also have standardized workflows. So all the 5D applications running Kubernetes uh, in containers will actually be able to benefit and you will be able to manage that through your common uh, uh, mono orchestration. As, uh, uh, in the way you used to, to do today uh, uh, with the benefit that it will be so much easier uh, to both lifecycle and deploy your applications on, on the container and container environment. Uh, and then what we add with the bare metal is to be able to do this extremely efficient and economic at the edge. 
I can imagine this also is a natural evolution, uh, and, and, and congratulations on getting this going, by the way, in that you know now we're talking about uh, moving from the centralized data centers to the telco infrastructure to the edge. I can imagine this also deploys natively on other platforms beyond the traditional telco space and edge computing, and that is it could run in autonomous vehicles, it could run in factories and warehouses where you've got to get that business logic out and you've got low-powered CPU environments, you've got constrained infrastructure and memory and compute. Uh, so I can just, you know, I think we could do a whole show just talking about where this is going to go in evolution, <laughs> uh, but we won't do that. But, but firstly, congratulations on that. And also for listeners, I, um, I did make a note earlier before we started recording, there's a really great blog currently uh, titled Benefits of Kubernetes on Ben Medical Cloud Infrastructure up on the Ericsson blog. So if you just jump on uh, ericsson.com and click on their blog link, it's on the front page right now. But if you just search for Kubernetes on Bare Metal, you'll find it very quickly. It's well and truly worth the read. And and you've highlighted all of those key benefits now on the show, and I really appreciate it. But it's, it's a great little reference and also there's some great resources that are linked to from it that are well worth reading. I wonder if I can wrap up with one last question then, Ulf. Uh, I mean, you are uniquely positioned. You're probably at the very, very bleeding edge of this uh, in in that you are developing uh, the likes of the Cloud Native Infrastructure Solution, and you've just launched that on Bare Metal. Um, You are heading up this whole NFVI space for Ericsson worldwide. I wonder if I could hand you a virtual crystal ball for a moment and get you to gaze into it. If I was to sort of get you to do a little bit of crystal ball gazing for us in the next 12 to 18 months in this space, particularly around uh, what you're doing with with the the focus on cloud native and particularly the bare metal uh, uh, capabilities now, next 12 to 18 months, where are you going? What are the big topics that people need to be thinking about? What should be on the the agendas of all the meetings and particularly the boardrooms of organizations right now today to start thinking in the next 12 months, where should they be at and where are we going? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 12 to 18 months is not that far away, actually, but I think a lot of things will happen. And, and again, uh, uh, what, what will have happened is that we will start to see that uh, 5G is becoming, starting to become mainstream. So we will start to have the large scale deployments of, of, of 5G networks uh, being rolled out. And with that, uh, since uh, this will be built around cloud-native 5G applications, uh, mainly for the core from start, but over time also more for the RAN uh, applications as well. Uh, we will see that the adoption of uh, this cloud-native infrastructure and bare metal infrastructures will be very, very, uh, will be, I would say, the majority of, of the deployments out there. Uh, so everyone will have started to see the real benefits that actually running a completely cloud-native infrastructure designed for that for start, what benefits that will get, give when it comes to TCO, when it comes to CICD benefits, lifecycle management, and, and addressing all the problems that we've seen maybe with the, the virtualization infrastructure up until today. So, 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 Definitely, this will come in big, and and we will also see the first. I think that will also have helped the, to be able to uh, actually enable the right economics for the first edge uh, computing use cases. As I talked about, I think if you talk 12 to 18 months, that will initially first happen for the enterprise space, uh, especially I would say for those enterprise applications that require, uh, you know, low latency 
high bandwidth, security and availability a lot in the industrial space, as we talked about. And I think this will not happen unless we have a very, very cost efficient, highly optimized, low, ultra low footprint cloud infrastructure solution, which is the cloud native infrastructure. Oh, I love that. That's great insight. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I can see this whole space just becoming the default go-to now that, you know, once upon a time we used to build apps that ran on bare metal themselves uh, on operating systems and we virtualized the operating system. Then we put cloud environments on those virtualized environments. And now we're going back to sort of as close to the middle as we can. I think the faster organizations can get their head around this and start to adopt it, build labs, build uh, some trial environments, get an MVP of some sort of trial inside their own organization, enterprise, as you said, and then start looking at working with the, yourself and the team inside Ericsson around how they're going to deploy that in the telco cloud. The, the sooner they're going to be one of the competitors in the world as opposed to being left behind. Well, Ulf, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. And thank you so much for some insights into kind of what you're doing, a little insight to yourself personally. And congratulations on the success of what you're working on currently around the NFT. FBI space and certainly the focus on the bare metal space and uh, I would invite listeners to uh, to follow you on on um, social media and various platforms reach out to you on LinkedIn and so forth and, and pose the hard questions to you and we'll certainly uh, get that conversation going after this show is published but it's been great to catch up with you and I really appreciate you making time and hopefully we'll uh, have you on the show again soon thank you very much it was my pleasure <laughs>